That should work better. Good morning, church. Hey, glad you're here today. If it's your first time with us, let me say again how, how happy we are that you're with us. Welcome to our house. We're so thankful to have you here today, and I hope that after we get done this morning, we'll have a chance to meet you and be with you. If you haven't been around the last couple of weeks, I'll catch you up real quick. We're in week three. It's the last week of this series. We're calling Lead Like Jesus, and we're doing this series really for two reasons. One is for those of us who have, who have decided to follow Jesus, we feel like part of that is becoming more like Jesus. And becoming like Jesus means learning to lead like Jesus because all of us lead something. And the question isn't, are you a leader? The question is, will you lead what you lead like Jesus? And so we feel like there's room for all of us to grow in that as we strive and aspire to become more and more like Jesus. The second reason is, uh, we are in a season as a church uh, praying for God to raise up uh, some additional men to serve as shepherds for our church. We currently have eight incredible men who serve in this role as shepherds, as, as leaders in our church. And we call them shepherds. There's different words throughout the Bible that are used to describe uh, this, uh, this position. But we, we love the word shepherd. We love that. We, I love the way that Jeremiah, or God spoke to Jeremiah many years ago. He said these words, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will guide you with knowledge and understanding. And that's exactly what we're praying for. Uh, th- this has been sort of the, the, the major idea throughout Scripture, that when you're looking for leaders in God's family, uh, the best picture, the best metaphor, the best way to describe what we're talking about is that idea of a shepherd and his sheep. In fact, Jesus himself called himself. He said, I am the good shepherd. And so today, uh, we want to kind of end this series with this idea. The last three weeks, we've talked about this. We've said really a couple of things, and we'll say one more today. We've said shepherds lead. They go first. They're out front. Uh, shepherds are the ones who, who go before us. They lead us. They can't lead from behind. They have to lead out front. That's the, the role of a shepherd. That's how they lead their sheep. They go out in front. Shepherds lead. Shepherds serve. If you were here last week, we saw a powerful demonstration, a reenactment of what Jesus did as he washed the feet of his disciples. One of our shepherds did that very thing for one of our members. A beautiful picture of humility and this idea that shepherds also serve. And today I want to talk about this idea, shepherds love. Shepherds love. I want to ask this question, though. What do you do, what do, you do when someone you love is lost? Many, many years ago, I was a youth minister in North Alabama, and every year we would take a group of teenagers to this thing called Winterfest in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. If you don't know anything about Winterfest, uh, it's a gathering in Gatlinburg. They have one in Arlington now as well. In Gatlinburg, every year, 12,000, just get this picture in your mind, 12,000 teenagers descend on Gatlinburg every year for Winterfest. How many of you want to go on that trip? Exactly. It's an amazing event. It really is. And our church would send three charter buses up to this event. We'd take well over 100 teenagers. And you can imagine what it would feel like to be me, to be the person in charge responsible for all of these these students, all these kids going to Winterfest to turn them loose in Gatlinburg for an entire weekend. My biggest problem was how do I keep up with everybody? How do I keep them all alive for three days and get them back to their moms and dads? So we, we devised a system we called shepherds and sheep. I took our adults, and I divided them up, and I gave each adult a group of students, and we called the adults shepherds, and they each had six to ten sheep, kids to, to take care of. And, and it was a real simple system. I thought it was brilliant. You know, I came up with it. But, you know, I thought, here's how it's going to work. All throughout the weekend, shep- a sheep, you check in with your shepherds, and then shepherds, once all your sheep are accounted for, you check in with me. 
And as long as all the sheep check in with their shepherd and all the shepherds check in with me, then I'll know that everybody on the trip is present and accounted for and where they are supposed to be. And it worked beautifully until, you knew this was going to happen, right? Until Saturday afternoon. We all pile in line to get ready to go to, this, to the session. We get in there, and all the kids are checking in with their shepherds, the sheep and shepherds, and checking in, and everybody checks in with me. And, and then one of our shepherds comes to me and says, Hey, Corey, I'm missing three sheep. I'm missing three of our kids. I'm like, Oh, no. Like, this is not, we have three kids somewhere in Gatlinburg. God only knows where. What are we going to do? So pretty quickly, I assembled our adults, and I said, okay, you guys, you stay here with the group. The rest of you come with me. We're going to fan out all across Gatlinburg and see if we can find these students. This was kind of before the, the whole deal with cell phones. It was a different time. We had radios, if you can imagine that, uh, to talk to the adults, not the kids. And so we, we had to go find them. We had to go find them. And we, we go searching all throughout the city looking for these three students all the way across Gatlinburg, where could they be? Have you ever felt this? Parents, you've probably felt this. You know, you've done this with your kids. You've gone to the store, grandparents, or if you've ever, you know, babysat kids, you go to the store, you're at Walmart, you're wherever, and you look away for what feels like three seconds, and when you turn back, your kids are gone, and you can't find them, and you start screaming their name, and shoppers are looking at you strangely, but you don't care because you're trying to find your kids because they were there, now they're not there. Where are they? Has someone abducted them? Like, where are my children? You know, what's going on? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was traveling. I'd been invited to go speak at another church on a, in the middle of the week. And so I, I flew out and went uh, on this quick trip. But it, it would mean I'd be gone for a couple of days. On Thursday, I get a call from uh, my wife, from Alicia. It's 4 o'clock, and she calls me. She says, hey, have you heard from Will? I'm like, oh, no. Uh, Will, our son, is in middle school. He is in sixth grade over at East. He rides his bike to and from school every day. And he knows, he can tell you, when he gets home, his one job is to text me and mom, hey, I'm home. It's all good. I didn't have a text. She didn't have a text. She calls me. She's worried. Hey, where is Will? Do you know where Will is? I don't know where he is. Like, I'm in Alabama. I can't, I can't check on him, you know. I'll, I'll tell you what. You, you head home. I'll start calling and texting, see if I can get a hold of him. You know, we don't know where he is. You know, did he, did he, you know, did he make it home okay? Is he at a friend's house? He's probably at home reading his Bible and lost in contemplative prayer, let's be honest, <laughs> and just forgot to text. He's about his father's business. He's 12 years old. This is what 12-year-old boys do. I'm kidding. That's not what he was doing. He just forgot, you know. She gets home, sure enough, he just forgot to, 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 to text us and check in. Uh, this is what we do. You know, when people we love who are lost, that fear and that anxiety rises Finally, in Gatlinburg, we found the students who were lost. Sure enough, there they were. They weren't in trouble, but they, they, were, they, they weren't where they were supposed to be. And we know how this feels. When someone we love is lost, when they've gone missing, that fear, that anxiety rises within us, that overwhelming desire emerges. It just wants to do whatever we can to find them because they're nowhere to be found. Where are they? I want you to feel this this morning a little bit because... I think this is how God feels. I think this is how God feels. When someone you love is lost, how do you feel? However you feel, I think that's a little bit about how God feels. Jesus told a story. He told three. We're going to look at the first one. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, you can open up to Luke 15. But Jesus told a story, a very similar story around this same idea. In Luke 15, in verse 1, the story goes like this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. There's something there for us, right? 
uh, these sinners and tax collectors, these people that, in a sense, you might say were lost, love to come to the good shepherd to hear him teach. But this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So just quick time out, Jesus has gathered before him sinners and saints, lost and found. He has before him sheep and the people who are supposed to be the shepherds of God's people, but they're complaining because he's spending too much time with the wrong group. You kind of get a picture for who Jesus is talking to here? Verse 3, so Jesus told them the story. If a man, was, or if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. And you can almost see his audience before him. And as he's telling the story, every one of them is nodding along like, Yeah, yes. I mean, this is a story, we don't quite get this because we don't have lots of like physical sheep in Capel. We don't have lots of shepherds walking around. So this isn't our world, but this was their world and they would get this. Yeah, absolutely. We understand this idea that if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one goes missing, absolutely he would leave the 99 to go find the lost one. Everybody in the audience, the notorious sinners, the tax collectors, the religious leaders who were complaining that Jesus was spending too much time with the wrong crowd, everybody was nodding along in unison saying, yes, yes, that is absolutely what would happen if that happened. And yes, he would leave, he would leave the 99 even if it meant going back into the wilderness, even if it meant going into uncertain territory and uncertain terrain, even if there was danger involved, even if the way to, to where the lost sheep was was unclear, he would do whatever it took to go find that one lost sheep. And everybody's like, yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely what would happen. That's what you do when someone you love is lost, when you have lost a sheep. And then Jesus throws him this curveball. They didn't see it coming. Jesus said in verse 7, in the same way, in the very same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And you can almost see the religious leaders, their heads pop up. Like, wait, what? I, I thought we were talking about sheep. And I was with you there. Now we're talking about people in heaven and God and sinners who were lost. And don't miss this. Jesus uses a story about sheep with a group of people who, understand, who understood sheep and shepherds, looking at the religious leaders who were supposed to be serving as the shepherds of God's people. And he tells them, You've gotten so concerned with being right and keeping yourselves happy that you've forgotten the heart of the shepherd is to go search for the one who is lost. I bring this story up this morning because I don't want us to fall into the same trap. Because if we're not careful, and if I can just be very honest this morning, if we're not careful, what we will do is we will look to raise up shepherds in our church, and a lot of churches have shepherds like this, 
who are focused on keeping those in the church happy, content, and satisfied. And any complaint that is raised is fixed quickly so that we can keep those who are here, here. And Jesus tells this story to these religious leaders. And he says, this isn't the heart of the shepherd. The heart of the shepherd, the heart of God, is to go into search for the one who is lost. And as we think about as a church, as a faith family, as a house, about raising up people to serve as shepherds for our church, for our faith family, one of the things that I want us to look to, because we're looking to Jesus for this, we're beginning and ending with Jesus, and one of the things I want to keep before us is Jesus, the good shepherd. And Jesus was a searcher, not just a keeper. And we need shepherds who are searchers, not just keepers. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And then Jesus showed us over and over again what that looks like. And over and over again, what is Jesus doing? He is always out searching for lost sheep. At the extreme discomfort of those who are religious, Jesus is searching over and over for lost sheep and welcoming them into his presence, welcoming them home. Jesus even said it. You know this verse. Jesus said it later on in the same gospel in Luke. Luke said this. Jesus said this. The Son of Man came to what? Seek and save the lost. This was the mission of Jesus. And oh, by the way, this is the mission of his church. This is what we are to be about, to be a people who are seeking and saving the lost because this was the mission and this was the vision of Jesus, the good shepherd. This is what he was all about. So fast forward the story a few years. And, and, and at this time, Jesus has already died. He, he's already been crucified, buried for three days, resurrected. After his resurrection, he walked the earth for another 40 days, was seen by over 500 people, and then he ascended to be with the Father. And then on the scene arrives this man by the name of Paul. You may know his name. He wrote most of your New Testament. Paul arrives on the scene, and he was a young, rising leader among the religious leaders. He had learned at the feet of Rabbi Gamaliel, one of the most highly esteemed rabbis of the day. And he had, he had a, a huge heart for God, but he didn't believe Jesus was Messiah. And so what we see in Paul is over and over again in, in his early days, he's persecuting the church. He even participates in the killing of Christians. He gathers them up and rounds them, to be, rounds them up to be imprisoned. And then Paul is on the way to a city called Damascus one day for that very purpose, to round up people who believe Jesus is the Messiah and put them in jail. When all of a sudden, this incredible bright light from heaven shines down, and it's Jesus don't miss this. Jesus has ascended to heaven, but Jesus the good shepherd is not done seeking and saving the lost. He sees Paul and he says, I need you. I need you to get on board with the mission of God. I need you to get on board with what I'm doing because I am who I say I am. And Paul was struck blind when he heard the voice of Jesus. But on that Damascus road, his life was forever changed and he never, ever, ever forgot when the good shepherd, the day the good shepherd found him on that road to Damascus. And Paul spent the rest of his days participating in the mission of Jesus to seek and to save the lost. And if you fast forward the tape a little further, you see 
Paul writing to a young church leader named Timothy who's living in one of the most important cities of the world, the city of Ephesus. You can go there today and you can see it's, it's amazing. Row after row, street after street, there are temples and businesses built, temples to lots of gods and lots of commerce that happen there. And you can see it's so well preserved. It's still there today. Paul writes to Timothy, this young leader in this emerging church, in this important city of Ephesus. And I want you to hear some of the first things that Paul says to Timothy. If you have your Bibles, again, you can open up to this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'll read verse 15 and 16. Paul said this, This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Here it is. Underline this, circle this, highlight this, memorize this, put this on your mirror. This is the headline for the whole letter to Timothy. Christ Jesus came into the world. Why? To save sinners. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And I, oh, by the way, I'm the worst of them all. Do you know what I did before I met Jesus? I am the worst sinner of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me. You can just tell he never got over this. So that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Then others will be able to realize that they too can believe in him and they too can receive eternal life. I want to start with this idea because I want you to see the context for everything Paul ever did, everything Paul ever said, It all began and ended with Jesus and the mission of Jesus. Everything Paul ever said, everything Paul ever wrote, everything he ever did from the day that he met Jesus on Damascus to the the day he died, it was all to participate and to be a part of the mission of Jesus to seek and to save the lost. And over and over again throughout this letter, Paul is going to tell Timothy that everything he does has to be central to this cause. Over and over again, he says things like, you've got to be filled with love. You've got to be an example in your love. You've got to pursue love. You've got to live out the love of Christ because this is the mission, this is the heart of the good shepherd to seek and to save the lost. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And Timothy, let me tell you, I'm the worst of all of them. So I know you're in the city of Ephesus, and I know that you're in a place where all around you is the worship to all these other gods. Artemis was the main one, and they were living out worship in a lifestyle that was so contrary and so against the will and the heart of God. But with this group of Jesus followers that you've gathered in the city of Ephesus, you've got to remind them they've got to live different in the world around them. They've got to show the world there's a different way, there's a better way, there's a different life, there's a better life, and it's a life of love. It's a life that Christ offers, and Christ offers it to everyone in the city because there's nothing you could ever do to to make God love you less. I am living proof, Timothy. Christ came to save sinners, and I'm the worst one of them all. And then you flip a couple pages to 1 Timothy 3, and it's within that context. See, I think we miss this sometimes. It's within this heart that Paul then writes these words to Timothy, this young leader in this church in Ephesus. He says this in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. 
So now Paul wants to talk to Timothy about raising up other leaders in the church to help him lead the church. And he says this, and I think this is important because sometimes I think we think this is bad, but he says, if anyone aspires for this, if anyone wants to be a leader in God's house, it's, it's an honorable thing to desire. Why? Because leading like Jesus is something we should all aspire to. Because becoming like Jesus is something we should all aspire to. If anyone wants to be a church leader, and that word leader literally is the word bishop or the word overseer. In other places in your New Testament, you'll see the words like pastor or elder or shepherd. All of them sort of are used to describe this, this position of being a leader in God's church. And Paul tells Timothy, if anyone desires that, it's, it's honorable to desire that. And then verse 2, so a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. And you could highlight that, underline that, because that is sort of the umbrella statement over everything else Paul is about to say. When you're looking for leaders in the church, you're not looking for perfect people. Those don't exist. There is only one perfect person, and, you know, this whole thing is, is in him and through him and because of him and for him and we name this whole thing after him. This is the church of Jesus Christ. He's the only perfect shepherd that ever lived. We're not looking for perfect people to serve as shepherds. We're looking for people whose lives, by and large, are above reproach. And then Paul describes this. He says he must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control. He must live wisely and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. And he must be able to teach. What's Paul saying? It doesn't need a lot of explanation, but what is he saying? Over and over again, there's sort of this common thread you can pull through every word. You're looking for someone who loves others well. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? Again, Paul is, is painting in broad strokes here, and he's, he's telling us, hey, when you look for someone to raise up as a leader in the church, you're looking for someone who can lead himself well. If he can't lead his own life, he's got no business leading the family of God. Someone who can lead his own family well. Again, that doesn't mean he has the perfect family, but he loves and leads his family well. And someone who loves and leads his church well. If he can lead himself well and lead his family well and lead the church well, then you probably are finding someone who can serve as a leader in God's church and love and lead the church well. He says a church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. In other words, look for someone who has that kind of humility that can tie that towel around their waist. And this is the way they love and lead is through humility, through service. Also, people, and get this, you can underline this too, this is huge. People outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. Isn't that interesting? It's not just people inside the church who should think well of him. It's people who are outside the church should, should think well of him and speak well of him also. Why in the world would Paul tell Timothy to find people like that? Why is that a key qualification. Well, you, you know why. What is Paul's heart? What is the heart of Jesus, the Good Shepherd? It's to seek and to save the lost. And Paul is saying, you need shepherds, you need overseers, you need leaders, you need elders who have, they have to have a credible life. 
in the church and outside the church, in the community, so that they can have a credible witness, so they can seek and save. If they don't have a credible life and a credible witness in the world, how in the world can they participate in the heart of the Good Shepherd, which is to seek and to save the lost? Now, what happens so many times when we read, especially this passage and other ones similar to it, is we take this list and we make it a, a checklist. It's because we, in, especially in, in America, you know, in, in our version of Christianity, we love checklists. We, we love to make these and dot them off and check them off. And so what we've done is we've turned this into a checklist. Like, we're looking for someone that has all these things. We're going to check them off. And, and it may even be in your Bible, you'll see a little header that says, qualifications of an elder. And that's not something Paul wrote. That's something that somebody else wrote. These aren't qualifications. It isn't a checklist. The first church would have never thought that. What they would have thought are these are the qualities of the kind of person we're looking for to lead the house of God. And what are we looking for? We're looking for someone who in their own life is becoming like Jesus. We're looking for people who know how to lead like Jesus. We're looking for people who, who, who can lead themselves, who know how to love and lead their family, who know how to love and lead their church, who know how to love and lead in their community. We're looking for people who know how to lead, who know how to serve, and know who, how to to love. This is what we're praying for. Because this was, this is who Jesus is. Jesus, the good shepherd, had a heart for loving and leading people to his father. And he would even lay down his life for that cause. Do you remember the first time Jesus found you? I was asking somebody this week that question, and it was right off the bat. Yeah, I know. I can tell you when. Do you remember the first time Jesus found you? It it may have been when you were baptized or before or after that or sometime around that or even sometime later for some people. When what you knew in your head really connected with what you felt in your heart, and it's unmistakable. You, You know the day that Jesus found you you never ever forgot it 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 was you were overcome probably with emotion it just it just hits you what he had done for you and 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 it was that day that that you decided you were all in with him because he found you there's a story of this one man who met jesus and if you knew a story you would probably assume that it was too late for him And truth be told, 99.9% of the time, it would have been too late for people in in his situation. Uh, It's a story of a man who was actually in jail. And I know it's not uncommon for you to hear stories of people who meet Jesus in jail and and turn their lives around. And it's really a testimony that the power of God is huge. And there's nothing you could ever do to make God love you less. He had been caught, arrested, put in jail waited for his trial date to come up, and it came up, and he went before the judge and the jury, and sure enough, he was convicted for his crimes. And according to the, to the law, according to the government, according to what he had done, it was, it was the death penalty, and so he was taken and chained and put on death row and sat there with so many other people just like him, waiting for the day that the guards would come to his cell and call his name, and he would be led away to die. But he didn't meet Jesus in jail. Every day he waited. 
wondering if today was the day he would be taken and led away. And finally, the day came. The guards came to his cell, called his name. They grabbed him and they took him and they led him down the hall away to where he would die. Except he wasn't being led to like an electric chair or any of those forms of death. He was taken by Roman guards because he was convicted by the Roman government and led to a place where he would be crucified because that was, crucifixion was their preferred method of execution. They took his hands, they nailed him to that tree, took his feet, nailed his feet to the tree, lifted him up and dropped him in a hole where he would die along with two other men. And as he was dying on that cross in agony in the Middle Eastern sun, people were gathered all around, which no one had come to see him that day. He deserved to die for what he had done. But people had come to see the man next to him, and he didn't know who it was right away. But they saw people laughing at him. They saw people mocking him. They saw people saying, hey, if you're the Messiah, then then come down from the cross And that's when it hit him in the middle of his pain and agony and just struggling to breathe. It hit him. Oh, this, this is, I heard about this guy. This is the one they call the king of the Jews. I heard, I've heard about this guy. And I know why they're killing him. They're killing me because of the crimes I committed. I deserve that. They're killing him because he's a threat to their power. And the guy on the other side who was also being crucified, he was mocking the guy in the middle too. But this guy wasn't. He looked over at him, and he just said these simple words. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I don't know what he thought would happen next, but I can almost guarantee you that he never thought this would happen. Because Jesus looked over at this criminal dying a deserved death on a Roman cross, and he said these words. Today, you will be with me in paradise. I've always marveled at that story. And it struck me this week that the good shepherd had the heart of a shepherd even when he's dying as the Lamb of God on the cross. That even in his final moments with, with, with the pain involved in just breathing on a cross, he spoke these words to a dying man. And what had this man done to deserve salvation? He hadn't repented for any sin or crime he had committed. He had never been baptized. He had never said he was sorry. He he didn't have time to make, make, make things right with those he had hurt. He just looked at Jesus and said, hey, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, with the heart of a shepherd, looked back and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Why? Because the heart of the good shepherd always cares about the one. Always cares about the one. And what Jesus shows us over and over and over and over again in every page of Scripture is that this is what love looks like. This is what leadership looks like. It's courageous leadership. And it always begins and ends with love. If the cross of Jesus teaches us anything, if Jesus on the cross next to this criminal about to die saying, today you're coming home, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Today you're the one, and I came here to find you and bring you home. It tells us that courageous leadership always 
begins and ends with love. And so I just want to end this series and end this message really with just two simple questions. Again, like every week, one for you and one for our church. For you, who do you need to pursue with the courageous love of Christ? If you want to lead like Jesus, if you want to become more like Jesus, it means that each and every one of us is trying to pursue someone with the love of Jesus. So who are you praying for? Who are you talking to? Who are you having coffee with? Who are you in conversation with? Who is it? Who's the one that you're reaching out to, to seek and to save? Because I think that's part of what it means to lead like Jesus, is to have that kind of courageous love. And then for our church, who are the leaders? Who are the searchers? Again, Jesus didn't say, I came to keep and save. He said, I came to seek and save. And so as we, as a church, look to raise up more shepherds in our church, I think we need to find people who have the heart of a shepherd. Those who have a heart to seek and to save the lost. Those who can lead our church to become a church that is seeking and saving the lost. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand. What do we do when someone we love is lost? We do whatever it takes to find them. Amen? We do whatever it takes to find them. When you lose someone you've, you love, you do whatever it takes to find them. And I think that reveals that inside every one of us is the heart of Jesus, the heart of the shepherd. So today, if you feel lost, I want you to know this is a place you can come home to. I'm going to invite our shepherds and their wives to make themselves available around the room. And, and you know, here, here's, what, here's what nobody knows. Every, every sheep needs a shepherd. Every sheep is looking for a shepherd. And you're going to find some kind of shepherd some way, somehow, in some form. Jesus is the good shepherd. And these men and their wives, they sort of serve as under-shepherds. They're not perfect people, but they would love to usher you into the presence of the perfect shepherd, Jesus, who can help you in whatever way you need today. So if you feel lost and you need someone to pray with you and encourage you and help you find your way home, they would love to do that. And if you've never claimed Jesus as your shepherd and you want to, man, we'd love to see that happen today as well. Because here's what's true about our shepherd. His love never fails. His love never gives up. It never runs out. It goes on and on and on and on. That's the heart. That's the love of our shepherd, Jesus. Let's sing.